Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information, and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Here we go again, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com, episode 247, Friday, June the 24th, 2022. And I almost hit stop on the record there, Mark, Um, how good was that? And a quick shout out to our website, vetgurus.com, and also our little areas you can help contribute to our costs, and that's our Etsy store, E-T-S-Y. Just go to vetgurus.com and you'll see the link to our Etsy store, which is just called VetGurus, and have a look at the amazing merchandise there, Mark. And every day at work, I pull out my VetGurus mug and have a coffee first thing as I get in there. And um, it's a very solid mug. And, geez, the coffee tastes so good out of that mug. (laughs) Um, Excellent product, excellent value. And I feel good that I'm supporting myself by buying something for myself. (laughs) So it would be good if we had the odd person who also purchased, purchased a bit of merchandise. And that would help pay for our costs so that would be a good thing to do and we would all feel very warm inside how are you mark yeah i'm great brendan just excellent i was um, you might want to chat next week about um your things you're doing but we won't won't um don't keep our listeners guessing about what you've been what you've been up to but you can talk about something else before that if you like i was just going to talk about um uh, the wonderful um, – I spent some time at the Desert Park at Alice Springs this week and, um, and I had an outstanding time. I'm, I'm sort of – as I'm getting older, I'm getting more cynical about zoos. I don't know whether this comes across in a podcast, um, but I love them nonetheless, the proximity to wild animals and whatnot. But anyway, I'm, I have a tendency to have very high expectations and um, – and some of the zoos I go to don't always live up to them. But I've got to say, I really enjoyed it, Brendan. And I went out last night and um, and did a bit of spotlighting. They have a, a um, an evening tour. You go around with your red light and they've got a four-hectare enclosure into which a number of surplus uh, animals go. Um, so bilbies and um, surplus to, you know, normal uh, um, uh, enclosure Collection. where people, yep. yeah. Um, so bilbies and marla, um, marla are extinct in the wild on the mainland, the little, the smallest, um, macropod. Um, and, um, and yeah, it just, it was a good night just, uh, wandering through and, and spotting the unusual animals, some plains rats, and, um, yeah, just, it, it was, um, you know, it wasn't great. I felt guilty that. It was sort of like spotlighting, you know, like caged hunting. The animals were in a very large yeah. enclosure, but in an enclosure nonetheless. But yeah, it was good seeing bilbies do the bilby thing in the under the stars of the um, the red centre of Australia. Yes, it is a good park. I can remember going there many years ago, Mark, when we had one of our conferences there. I think you were there as well. I was well. with you. Uh, 
Yes. And, gee, that was a while ago now. And there you are back there again. And for our overseas listeners, Alice Springs is basically, well, it's, it's called the centre, the red centre, because it's very red sand and region, a desert region. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And it's the, in the centre of Australia virtually, isn't it? You can't get much more out back than Alice Springs, I say. Now, you jump into your first news story while I turn my mic off and cough a little bit, Mark, and you want to talk about My first news story is uh, surprisingly about birds. It's about um, the the, uh, beautiful Bali miner. Um, We here in Australia have the Indian hill miner, um, the blackened chocolate bird with uh, yellow skin around its eyes and yellow beak, and they uh, are... bit of a feral pest um, and uh, hang around um, people's homes. But um, the barley miner is a critically endangered um, relative, beautiful snow white bird, um, same sort of uh, proximate dimensions and behaviour, but snow white in colour. And the most beautiful blue skin patches around the eye and the base of the beak, they're very, very... uh, well, they're eye candy with feathers on them. Um, and so unsurprisingly, particularly in a country like Indonesia, where there is a long-held culture of, um, of, of keeping birds, um, they have been collected from the wild to the point where they were, um, you know, quite possibly going to be um, become extinct in the wild. But then a very interesting thing happened. Uh, BirdLife International set up a conservation program, and it's unusual, Brendan, an unusual conservation program in that it does not prohibit, it's not a prohibitory uh, program. Uh, Birds were collected and given to villagers to breed, and the villagers were... Um, taxed, I suppose, the best way to describe it. Um, they had to return 10% of the birds they bred, but they were allowed to um, to sell the other birds, which was viewed, which has been viewed as a very successful model. The conservation method, because it's compatible with Indonesian culture, um, where it permits the the trade and keeping of birds, um, it, it sort of fitted into the the, um, the 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 human the society there, and it's become very successful. So many birds have been released that um, it's now possible to see small flocks of these birds in the wild in um, national parks in Bali. Um, yes. And, um, it's, and despite, and this is despite um, some setbacks along the way. You know, the um, when the early releases occurred, there were um, parasitic problems that affected the naive release released birds, um, and poaching still continued. And many of the released birds were not familiar with native predators, natural predators, and so succumbed. But it's it's turned out. Um, to be an ex- eventually a successful program, um, and there's every uh, chance that the a number of birds will um, will continue to grow in the wild, becoming more and more secure. And it's interesting that they're targeting more and more villages, sort of creating a buffer zone so that no one misses out, as it were. So it's a real um, conservation success story. And I, I mentioned to you while we were discussing it off air that I know of a number of Australian veterinarians who've been um, contributors to this bird life 
uh, international program over the years. Um, so it's always nice when some of our our Australian colleagues are contributing to these conservation programs in other parts of the world, Brendan. Yes, I was very interested in your take on this story, especially because the breeders were able to you know, keep 90% of the offspring for private sale, and I presume, therefore, those birds would just be traded as pet birds kept in typically fairly small cages. Um, but it has resulted in the ones that have been that one in 10. You want to be that one in 10, wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> That's been released, um, <laughs> bottom line, um, that, that is a wild one. Um, so I was very interested in your take on it. Um, and, I, and I think your comments there and that it, the reason why it has been a success generally and especially for the, you know, the wild range in living birds is due to the um, culture of the, the, the society there and the way they've sort of um, structured it, um, which is which I think, yeah, I agree with you, is good. But, um, gee, it's, a, it's still, uh, still, I suppose it's better than, not, than having them die out, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> um, yeah, but, but, but unfortunately there's a fair number that are still going to be kept as those pet birds um so and my only other comment mark is if you've seen the article there which i presume you obviously have that first photo made me laugh um and it's just a, a photo showing one being released a bird in flight picture which for those <laughs> looks like a seagull um, like you and me um it could be any sort of one <laughs> it's so damn blurry there that's almost one i would take mark so yeah i, might, I laughed when i saw that <laughs> so yes, good story. Otherwise, Mark, um, good story. Uh, my my story is a, a crazy story. Um, it's about the Mexican narco's fas fascination with exotic animals and the 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 drug trade. And um, last week, and this was um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, yeah, a couple of weeks ago from from now when we're recording this in in June two thousand and twenty two. A spider monkey dressed up as a drug gang mascot, Mark, was killed in a shootout. And uh, it, it's just so bizarre. And they have photos of this um, scene um, when it was a shootout with police with the drug cartel members. Uh, and they showed a small monkey, Mark, dressed in a tiny camouflage jacket <laughs> and a tiny bulletproof vest. Well, it obviously didn't work very well. Um, shot and sprawled across the body of the dead gummum, who was apparently his owner. And um, the other sort of oddity, or one of the oddities is inexplicably the well-equipped dead gunman with his multiple guns had a plastic bucket on his head, Mark. So I don't know whether that was a, a post-shoot in him that they put the bucket on his head to to to, um, to, um, to, 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 to as a warning to the other um, drug cartel owners or not. Um, but... Gee, um, and the, the, the monkey's gone viral. Um, they've made uh, they've made ballads on social media, uh, which apparently is a traditional Mexican folk ballad, um, the corrida, um, that's often composed in honour of dr drug ca capos. Capos? Do you call them capos or capos? The drug lords. Oh, I thought it was capos. Um, capos, and uh, and then the story goes on to talk about the 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 the. <laughs> the fact that a lot of these um, underworld Mexican criminal underworld people uh, like to have exotic animals, um, and I think it's a 
bit of a you know my I've got more tigers than you um, type thing, and that a lot of them are being so they're a status symbol, and a lot of them are being either accidentally or deliberately released. So they're finding tigers, for instance, that are wandering the street. Um, so it's quite bizarre. Um, and, yeah, and and near the end of this article, uh, one of the drug cartel capos acquired exotic animals not only for pleasure but also to torture or to disappear his victims, Mark, and several of his enemies were devoured by tigers and crocodiles that he kept. So I tell you what, that would be a pretty horrific way to die. <laughs> um, so, it is yes, fascinating, that poor though, little monkey, um, yes. Go it ahead. is fascinating that I was just going to say the the uh, preoccupation with with um, exotic animals that does seem to go hand in hand with the um, the uh, narcotic trade and um, and yeah it is um, well I saw the the um, there was some quote there about life is very short. Yes. It was the monkey's turn. It wasn't the monkey's turn to die, according to the ballad, but unfortunately, <laughs> it was. And yes, he did have a custom-made little bulletproof vest around him and his little hoodie on the monkey. Um, so there you go. So, what's the moral of that story? I have no idea, Mark. But uh, don't do it, don't, it, don't do drugs. Just don't, don't do drugs and be careful. What um, check the um, provenance of the owners when you go to treat some of these exotic pets, Mark. And and so I think and check. The provenance of their bulletproof vests. <laughs> That's right. Are they are they really bulletproof or not? Yes. I think with that we'll jump into our main topic, Mark, which uh, doesn't really have a segue, but it's it's a big topic. So we're going to summarise the the important points as usual. Seizures in unusual pets, and I think this is an excellent topic and one that you chose as usual because it is where we often become blinkered, I think, Mark, especially with people who panic about seeing an unusual exotic pet and they see one of these animals fit in, whether it's a bird, mammal or reptile or amphibian or fish or other, and they immediately think, gee, that rabbit is fitting. It must be rabbit fitting disease. And you've jumped ahead of yourself. Sure, there are specific seizure seizure problems that, and, and diseases that occur in these exotic pets. But before you do that, we need to go back to our basics, don't we, Mark, and, and think about what are the systems involved and what are the potential causes for that before you start deciding that it is rabbit seizure disease. So I think we've covered it all just with my little <laughs> summary there, Mark. So, Well, I, do, I did. Was, I was going to say um, that you nailed it in that I think the key thing is not to get blinkered. I think that um, seizures, because of their, you know, they're, they're distressing. You, it's uh, motor seizure makes people very emotional about what an animal is going through, often disproportionately to what the animal is going through. And so there's a lot of passion about getting somewhere really quick and it is important to take those uh um those glasses off and to um and their associated blinkers and look at it from first principles and um and yeah it is surprisingly common brendan i don't know what it's like in your practice but um across a range of species uh, the reason for presentation um in my experience uh, um it seizures 
are not an uncommon reason at all for people to present unusual pets to a veterinary practice. So we certainly see a lot of different species with a lot of seizure, a lot of activity, a lot of disease process referred to the owner, referred to by the owner as seizures. And not uncommonly we see the same mark so yes we see lots of especially with our small mammals and reptile focus that we but primarily have um, we have these animals that are having apparent fits or seizures and it is often and exactly that with the client phoning up and saying my x species is having a seizure what do i do and the obvious reply to that is bring the animal in and then we start to assess it so do you want to work through mark i think we should talk about the general approach to the fitting pet first before we or the fitting unusual pet first before we jump into some of the specific conditions that we do see in the exotic pets mark well i think the first thing to do and you've already said it and i've mentioned it just um, relax and clear your mind and and conduct a systematic physical exam start with um you know examination of the or any subtle neurologic signs that you can pick up um, pay particular attention to the musculoskeletal system and its relationship to the nervous system um, and then do your other standard things have a look at the skin the breathing respiration cardiac function all the rest of your normal physical exam um, the next thing to do during your physical exam is to narrow it down as much as you can. Now, we all know that neurology is one of the more difficult areas to narrow things down in, but make an attempt. There will be some times when there are clues that other organ systems may be predominantly involved and the, the activity of the seizure may not be the result of a primary problem in the nervous system. So try to do that uh, systematic physical exam, get a good history um, and then narrow it down to the the organ system that's most likely the root cause and then do your diagnostics. Um, draw some blood, um, maybe uh, radiographs, maybe ultrasound um, and even in some of these cases um, uh, CTs and MRIs. So yep. I would do all that before um, I did anything else, Brendan. Yes, and it's amazing how many, and we'll go through the species, some of the species conditions shortly, phone calls I might get or emails and, and that might say, for example, my ferret or the ferret that was brought into my clinic has been having fits. What do I do? What do I do? And I, I would say, okay, have you done your clinical exam? Have you taken blood? What was the blood glucose on that ferret? And I say, oh, no, haven't done that. And getting back to those basics um, will then help. And often that's a screaming example of a, of a classic one there of, it's possibly an enchiloma in a ferret um, because we see that pretty commonly and we have that super low blood glucose under 3.3 millimoles per liter classically um, is almost pathognomonic for enchilinoma in ferrets so it's getting back to the basics and you mentioned clearing your mind there mark and that's something that in this 
time we have trouble doing isn't it we really need to sit down and just take a couple of seconds even if it's only a couple of seconds and and think okay let's get back to basics is this a neurological disease or not Um, how do i determine if it is neurological or if it's related to other organ dysfunction for example liver pathology um, in that animal um, and just narrowing things down um, to the system and the organ and then starting those diagnostics as you mentioned so and it's amazing once you've done that and um, then getting back to the basics as far as thinking of the basic causes of disease processes um, as you'll see with you know, unusual pets it's no different um, is it a metabolic illness is it nutritional is it toxins is it infectious is it neoplastic and once you start compartmentalizing things and and um, organizing it that way it's amazing how things just pan out and the answer comes to you doesn't it mark with a lot of those um, diseases that you thought gee i don't have no idea what this what's going on with this animal i haven't seen a guinea pig for years and yet i'm being presented with a guinea pig that's fitting very often it is the case so um running through some of the common species associations uh, some of the common reasons you've already mentioned uh, um, insulinoma in in ferrets Um, I was going to ask when you see the so how many animals are actually presented seizuring and not just presented after a seizure like activity Um, do you see the difference between the species in whether they're presented Mm, presented absolutely so Absolutely. So if you're stuck with the ferret, yeah, a fair number of them would be my ferrets behaving abnormally is having um, fainting attacks or minor seizures or, or fits. And when it's brought into the clinic, we don't see any evidence of that in the consultation, but we're suspicious of that condition because it's such a... A relatively common condition in ferrets as they get to sort of middle age and older mark or even a little bit younger than that um, and we look at the history of that um, that um, ferret when we've really quizzed the client about the, the, the care of that animal and when, when the little fits are happening that we're suspicious of insulinoma and that's when we think, hey, we'll suck some blood from it. So yes, you, 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 you're correct there in that um, there are some species where you may not see them in the in the consult room with with the fitting, as opposed to uh, the net. Well, the next one I had a little list there, Mark. Guinea pigs with mange, um, and the classic there is my guinea pig is epileptic, and uh, I've lost count of how many phone calls we've had from clients. Um, saying my guinea pig's epileptic, he or she's having a fit, and and it is them in the, for a consult. The amazing thing about that is that. Um, very, I suppose, with a touch of my usual arrogance, um, I, you know, I thought that before I actually saw one of these guinea pigs in my much younger days, I thought there's going to be, you know, they might look like they're having a seizure, but there'll be something obvious that tells you they're just hugely itchy because of the the uh, mange mite. But once you see them, you can understand why the clients do think they're having a seizure because they really look like they're having a seizure. Um, and uh, and so yeah, the the and they'll often they're unlike the ferrets, which often come in with a history, uh, but not actually in the process of performing the behaviour. Guinea pigs will often do it for you on the 
consult room table um, as they've been presented for seizuring and uh, and yeah the 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 uh, pruritus from uh, mange mite is often the cause. Yep, exactly. And well, we won't talk about the mange workup in guinea pigs, but we we have done a podcast on that specific topic, Mark. So let's run through a few other relatively common causes or conditions that we see in unusual pets. Um, what about rabbits, Mark? What would you see that the client may consider that oh, their animals having fits or seizures? I groan when you ask me because every time I think about a rabbit neurologic disease, um, I think of encephalitis caniculi. And encephalitis zoonoses are the disease process in rabbits that... Um, they definitely are associated with seizures. They cause changes to the central nervous system and and they definitely can be associated with seizures. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, anything to do with E. is not clear-cut in my mind. Um, the disease is so common, or the, the parasite is so common that um, many rabbits will test positive for it um, and have disease symptoms symptoms, disease, clinical signs that we can associate with it. Um, uh, but um, are they? Are they really uh, related? It's yeah, very the hard e. to Kini- tell. E. Caniculi is a very difficult one, isn't it, to sort of differentiate and to oh, decide is it an active infection or not? Is that causing the fitting in this um, rabbit? And uh, But I would certainly say other, it is other- a, a cause. Absolutely. And the other fairly common one that we see with rabbits that are having apparent seizures is um, inner ear conditions um, that um, suddenly get in that um, vestibular disease and the owner may be interpreting that as a as a seizure in them. That's the other common one that we see presented for apparent seizures, Mark. Very commonly, the, the there will be lots of rabbits that have that inner ear problem and they've got a bit of a head tilt, or but many of them will have strange motor movements that uh, the owners interpret as possible seizures. One of the other things that um, I think of it almost sometimes as a, a correlation with, uh, you know, little little white dogs after uh, pregnancy, lactational tetany, the tetany that's associated with calcium metabolism problems in reptiles is a common reason that we have people bring in seizuring lizards um, and so being aware of the species that are more likely and the ages that are more likely to present in that uh, hypocalcemic tetany um, can be a very useful thing for our lizards yeah so that's often lumped into the nutritional uh, um what is nutritional secondary hyperparathyroidism yes. metabolic bone disease metabolic bone disease yes and more often than not, and it'd be interesting to see your comments. Most of the reptiles that we see with metabolic bone disease show with our other um, signs of metabolic bone disease, like our soft shells and our bendy bones and, and mandibles, etc., um, rather than um, a, a, a twitchy animal. And, and I expect that you're going to say the same, but um, we certainly can see them with with um, signs of fitting as well, but I think it's less common than, say, for instance, our supposed fitting guinea pig with mange, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and um, definitely most of the the, um, 
the cases of metabolic bone disease are not primarily presented for um, uh, seizure-like activity, tetany, but there is that cohort of rapidly growing dragon lizards, for example, who seem to yes. um, who who will get just at a certain age and um, and slip into some uh, before we sort of even realise they've got soft bones um, and that uh, low blood calcium. Low tissue calcium leads to tremors. Doesn't seem to be the same sort of problem in snakes, though, in my experience. And I tend to be more looking for some of the viruses that are associated with nervous tissue um, as a, a cause. And there's also some inherited genetic uh, components that will lead to some snakes demonstrating uh, neurologic problems that. Um, that uh, can be interpreted as seizures, Brendan. Yes, the old viruses, Mark. We always think about, don't we, when those snakes are brought into us with variations on. Some of them have almost like an intention tremor. Then we have the ones with the um, epistotonus, the the poor grip, um, the twisty bendy snake, Mark, as as some clients (laughs) mention it to me. And um, Stargazing. Stargazing immediately start thinking about the the um, ever expanding numbers of viruses that are neurotropic, um, and again they can be a bit of a challenge to to diagnose because again we go back to basics and we try and eliminate other possible um, causes and things like septicemia, toxemias, and we do basic bloods initially and our obviously our clinical exam although the neurological exam in the in the snake is a little bit limited compared to some other species Um, but i'd always reach for the general bloods first before i um, start swabbing and sending off for those pcr tests for those viruses Um, and uh, the ones that we do send off um, yeah unfortunately some of them or a fair number of them can come back as um, positive for those viruses which are virtually a death sentence for that animal. Now we've left birds on our list to last and I'm glad you did that because um, birds are probably one of the species, one of the the orders of animals that I do find I'm clearing my mind and working my way through the, you know, is there a toxin in this bird's environment? Is there uh, um, calcium metabolism problems tend to not be as common as maybe our uh, commonly associated with um, seizures, tetany, as our reptiles. But I've certainly seen cases like that. But um, birds are the one order of animals that I have definitely uh, worked my way through a clinical process, clinical diagnostic process, come up with um, you know no particular cause that I can identify. There's no middle ear problems. There's no liver problems, um, and um, and we definitely have had a number of uh, cockatiels and budgerigars who uh, and canaries who have been seizuring who have responded excellently to um, uh, anticonvulsant therapy with um, uh, phenobarbital, for example. So um, uh, while there are definitely other causes besides epilepsy, uh, birds are one of the the orders of animals that I do look um, to rule everything out so I can consider treating for epilepsy, um, which is unusual amongst all our uh, unusual pets. Yes, Um, and that's a 
really important point. We should have mentioned that at the start of this podcast, Mark, um, because you mentioned off air that, you know, there's always a temptation when um, if you're not seeing many unusual exotic pets and you see one with a apparent seizure in that, hey, we're going to reach for the, reach for the anti-epileptic drugs like phenobarbitone um, and we should not be doing that. We should be going back to our basics as we've sort of stepped through um, during this podcast, Mark. Interestingly enough, Mark, I have got um, less than five, it would be rabbits, that uh, have been placed on phenobarbitone that we do think are epileptic rabbits. Have you seen any rabbits? I haven't got five, but definitely one that I'm almost uh, certain. Well, it's a... Um, diagnosis of exclusion isn't it and so if you've done yes. a thorough workup um, and then you get a response to treatment um, and you're not seeing progress which suggests maybe a uh, intracranial tumor then I think you can be pretty certain that you do have and all those species I mean anything that has a motor cortex can technically have um, epileptiform seizures um, so that's possible in all those other ones my um, my, you know, objective with this topic was just to emphasise that because they're trembling and shaking and and they have unusual motor activity doesn't mean it's epilepsy. And like you said, don't reach for the anticonvulsant medication as your first response. Do a workup is my advice. Yes. And you did mention with the birds, as you quickly ran through the birds, toxins. Uh, we do see toxins not rarely in the small mammals as well, Mark, especially those species that are a little prone to um, investigate in places they shouldn't, like the ferrets, etc. if they're not unsupervised and have seen occasional rabbits with toxins as well, but they're pretty, well, they have been rare. Um, and a cl the classic example that I've seen with that is a, well, it's a, a avocado toxicity I saw yep. in um, two young rabbits, Mark, I may have mentioned at some other time. But it's all getting back to the basics, Mark, um, and and not forgetting about our general veterinary science that we are taught at university and, and thinking systems and organs and then what type of process is potentially affecting that system or organ. And even going back one step even before that and deciding whether or not if that animal that's presented to you is having a seizure or not in the first place because we always have to be a bit careful about interpreting what our clients have said is happening and it's with good. their pet. It's a good tip, Brendan. Um, if an animal is having, you know, if it's having it every few minutes, obviously there's a greater pressure to get a diagnosis and um, resolve it for the animal. But if it's happening, you know, once every 10 weeks or so, um, then ask the client to, you know, use the video capacity of their their mobile phone to get an, a, an actual bit of footage of the seizure for you because sometimes you can look at it and go, that looks vaguely like a seizure, but it's to do with this. Um, so so I think that's an extra useful thing to get your um, the staff answering the phone to suggest that the clients use their phone to get that footage. That helps immeasurably. Yep. Absolutely. And... It's, it's amazing with that everybody has their little mobile phone these days, so so taking pictures and videos and that, although 
sometimes I have to pull up a chair in a consult mark with some clients when they decide, I'll just show you a couple of photos <laughs> <laughs> or videos of my pet, you know. Five, ten minutes later you think, no, oh, the next consult's waiting out front. Um, we better move on here. Let's push things, you know. Um, it's great to see. And let me show you my family while I'm at it. So, so it's good bonding with your clients sometimes, but sometimes the bond needs to be broken a little bit mark <laughs> and you need to move on um any final comments mark i was just going to close our wonderful podcast today with a congratulations brendan i don't know how you do it you just keep coming up with names for our podcast that bring a smile to my face you dad joke king Oh, you like this one. And if you don't know what it is, well, look on your phone, you'll see the um, title for it right in front of your eyes. Excellent. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Hold up. 